0: You're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com.
1: Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the
0: format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus, will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fanfiction about
2: it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters,
1: overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fanfiction written by non-fans! It's sham fiction.
2: This week's author is Marcus. What do you got for me, guys? I was trying to do the music. Did it work out? <laughs> it was great. The music, yeah. like our intro music. Yeah, because you always, you know, I, I come in just as it's fading out. I just wanted to join the fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you did great, Champ. Nice. Man, that's a fun way to start the episode, man. And this is gonna be a fun episode. This is oh, yes. we're looking forward to this one because today, Marcus, you are going to be writing based on an anime series, one of Ooh. the most well-known anime series of all time, Dragon Ball Cow- Z. Oh, <laughs> swept in there and uh. pulled the rug out. Uh, no, sir. This is Cowboy <laughs> Bebop. Three, two, one. Let's jam. Yeah Yeah, owner of one of the best credits sequences and title music of Ooh. all time.
0: Just one Even of better the than our
1: coolest. Yeah, actually, Much better. Even better. <laughs> I mean Reed's great, don't get me wrong, Reed if you're listening to this, you're beautiful, but this is such the, the opening of this show just gets you right into it. It's the perfect mood setter. So yeah, Cowboy Bebop, that's what we're doing this week. This isn't our first anime. We've this isn't our first rodeo. We're doing it well, again. You know, this is uh, this is our first, like, anime series, though, because I guess
0: we've done Japanese animation, because we did... Uh, Marcus did Howl's Moving Castle, but no. that's not anime. That's a feature film. That's, that's way different. This is, like, our first proper, like, anime. Like, whatever that word means, this is it.
2: Eric, it's pronounced
0: manga. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank my you very goodness. much, Marcus. Uh, well, for
1: all of the anime <laughs> fans that have stuck with us through that... Um... Let's get into what this Cowboy Bebop show is. So this show was created by Hajime Yatate, which is the pseudonym for Sunrise Studios, which is the animation team behind the show. Nice. Um, it, was, uh, it came out in 1998 in Japan and 2001 in the U.S. Um, session 1, which all the episodes are called Sessions, uh, just to, for, for those that don't know. Because it's uh, was jazzy. By, yeah, it's a bit jazzy. Um, was written by uh, Keiko Nobumoto who is also the head writer for the series Um, I think he was kind of the the head of the writing room for this show um, kind of his brainchild Um, and the first session as well as many of the other episodes were directed by Shinichiro Watanabe and uh, this first session was uh, Yoshiyuki Takei was the director of it Uh, Watanabe was again kind of like Nobumoto he was the director for most of the series um, and it's just one series, it's just one season It's 26 episodes, that is the whole show uh, Plus a movie Oh, um, Yeah, so this is one of those seen. shows that if you haven't seen It's pretty easy to get caught up on um, Cool Because it's available on Hulu That's where I rewatched it I think Eric probably did the same Yes And uh, yeah, 26 episodes You can just dive right in and binge it All the way through Like mm-hmm. so many of the kids are doing these days
0: uh, w- weird note about Hulu, though, uh, It's the, they have the subs, the subtitled uh, original Japanese voiced versions of every episode, uh, but only a few of the English-dubbed uh, episodes. So if you want to watch the whole thing on Hulu, you're going to watch the subs, and that's A-OK.
1: Yeah, because they're good. They're great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, music. I also want to point out who did the music because, again, like the opening sequence is great and the music in this show is just fantastic. Oh, it's it's so good. Uh, Yoko Kano. um, Man, just awesome. Very bluesy, very jazzy. Like, and music uh, is kind of. This, this show is so... Uh, Eric, you go into this. It's, it's, it's so musical. Music is it, such a big part of it.
0: insanely musical. So as we mentioned, each episode is called a session. Every single episode title, at least through the 13 that I've watched, because uh, I haven't seen all 26 or the movie. Uh, I've just seen the first, uh, first half of the series. Um, every episode is some like musical titles so like the symphony of so-and-so an elegy of this and that every single episode is is written like that and there's amazing music everywhere i think one of the reasons this show is so appealing to western audiences and oh boy is it uh, is that there's so much reverence for uh, Western culture and music specifically. And I don't just mean like pop culture. I'm talking like the classics. I'm saying like we got like, you know, classic music references. There's, there's a lot of opera references and ballet references. Um, all that sort of stuff is littered throughout. And the biggest player is jazz. This is oh, cool. jazzy as hell. So yes. what and and it's not just the music. The the attitude of this show is jazzy. It's like this show has spent the last 30 years in like a smoke-filled dingy jazz club just wailing away on the sax, you know. <laughs>
1: this is this is a cool fucking show. Oh, this is an explicit episode as well. <laughs> Yeah, it is. They saw the E tag. They, they 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 should know. Kids shouldn't know. be listening to this. Yeah, so um, that's why I love it. Yeah, so th- I I love this show because not just the musical references. This show references every cool thing that exists in genre. This show is a science fiction show. You know, it's like a space opera like Star Wars or like a space adventure like Firefly. Even though Firefly came out later than the show, it still kind of feels that way. Um, but then it's also, like, Blade Runner, you know, think of, like, the big city science fiction cities, but then there's, like, westerns thrown, thrown in there, you know, it feels like a Sergio Leone, like, Man With No Name film, or, like, an Akira Kurosawa samurai film, Bruce Lee martial arts films, like, all of these references kind of are mixed into this melting pot of this show. So there's a lot of really fun things to play with.
0: Absolutely. Um, and... Uh, I guess the first thing we can say about it, this show specifically, is it's about space cowboys. Uh, specifically, like
2: elderly astronauts who are trying to disable Russian no, nukes that God. are on a space oh, station. No, or,
0: nobody saw that movie, Marcus. Everybody saw just, that. I saw you say that.
2: It was about space cowboys. got excited.
0: <laughs> no, oh, this is no. this is about bounty hunters. Uh, and in this universe, in the Cowboy Bebop universe, a cowboy is a reference to a bounty hunter, somebody who is tracking down uh, another human being in order to collect the bounty on that person's head. Uh, and that's awesome. Cowboys, bounty hunters in space. What is not to
1: love? I'm all yeah, for it. this. So let's let's just dive into this thing, and that's kind of the thing what Eric just said. So this show is the adventures of the Bebop crew. Uh, The Bebop is a spaceship, and they're bounty hunters, and they're going on jobs in order to make a buck. And so they're always hunting down a new bounty, a new criminal, and usually failing in the attempt to get that criminal, or that criminal learns that they they learn to understand that criminal, and they let them go. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a
2: companionship called the Rock Study?
0: Uh, no. Oh, sorry. Really I hoping have, There's a Turtles I, reference. Yeah. Okay, that's what it was. I, yeah, I'm, Bebop, not yeah. I'm not a Turtles guy. I'm not a Turtles guy. Another possible sham fiction for me in the future. Ooh. But no. Uh, it's the Bebop Crew, and they go. Okay. They're all, the uh, the crew's always hungry because they don't uh, make any money, so they can't afford to buy food. Because they're yeah that like that's what Andrew said feels
1: like Firefly because it's these you know the except those guys are smugglers but in this these guys are bounty hunters and yeah constantly hungry always trying to make money and you know coming up short with that money oh yes Uh, but the 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 bounties that they're chasing these guys I mean this is sci-fi so these these things are so out there. Um, like the first episode, this guy they're running after, like this drug runner guy that has like this drug that can like enhance his reflexes and he's like a super fighter. Or there is one where like these eco-terrorists want to launch this serum into the atmosphere of a planet to turn everybody into monkeys. So it's like these crazy sci-fi things that can be kind of kooky, kind of weird, but in some aspects can also be really serious and weird.
0: You know, and and it it doesn't have to be kooky and weird. There's plenty of episodes that are driven solely uh, on the character's backstories. You know, some some shady character from their past or some uh, former lover shows up and, you know, they have drama because of that. So there are a lot of uh, options for your story. Uh, So I would just say go nuts, you know, whatever, whatever, man. Yeah, so
1: let's give you uh, Where this is set Just kind of set the the, the, the Playing field here So Cowboy Bebop takes place In 2071 And this is a universe In which the Earth has been left Uninhabitable uninhabitable, um, By an accident And so people have dispersed Across the solar system So it still takes place in our solar system But it's spread out Um, People live on you know, pretty much any planet that you know you can live on. But then there's also like asteroid colonies and space stations. So all sorts of things like that. But humanity's kind of spread out and connected through these gates. So you kind of go through your ship goes through these gates, and that's how you can quickly travel uh, between planets.
0: You know, this is interesting. The setup, like the the accident that left Earth more or less uninhabitable, it's very similar to our episode, the 100, or I'm sorry, the 100 episode. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah, gosh, that's terrible. Um, In that something happened, and people have been away from the planet for pretty much 60 years, I think is about what it is. So in this universe, apparently in 2010, we had the technology to be able to leave the planet when some horrible accident happened. Um, but yeah, interesting. Same, same sort of setup, but instead of stuck on a, on a space station, people are just everywhere. If mm-hmm. moons of Jupiter and Saturn, any rock, uh, has been, uh, has been terraformed and made habitable, habitable, and just turned into, I guess, any normal location, like any earthbound city could be located somewhere else. There's nothing particularly alien about any of these other wor- worlds. You know, Mars, basically looks like it could be on Earth, except I guess the sky's a little red. You know, there's not much uh, weirdness that happens just from it being on different planets. It's just the backdrop, the setting.
1: Sure. Yeah, so our crew travels around on the Bebop, that's the name of their ship, which is uh, looks like a big boat, because oh, yeah. it was a boat. <laughs> it was a fishing vessel at one point, and uh, <laughs> the, the characters uh, turned it into their spaceship. <laughs> so, it's got like a, uh, it's got an airstrip on the back uh, because they have smaller ships that they fly in. That's kind of like their fighter ships. Um, zip crafts is what they're called. Um, so, and we'll get into those when we get into the characters because uh, each of the main characters has their own zip craft. Um, yeah. So, let's get into those characters. I'll kick yeah. us off. Do it. Um, uh, with our Bebop crew. And I'm going to start with our hero, who is Spike. Spike Spiegel. Uh, And he is this kind of tall, gangly guy, wears a suit. He's got a mop of bushy green hair on his head. And he is our Han Solo. He is our cocksure, reckless, you know, guy who just kind of improvises and talks his way through situations. Um, Spike never really has much of a plan. He always just dives into everything. (laughs) And oh, kind of works his way through, but he's very competent, so he can usually get his way through. He's an excellent gunfighter, excellent hand to hand in in hand to hand combat. Again, that's where like these like Bruce Lee references. That's that's Spike. Spike knows how to fight. Um, he used to be a criminal. He used to work for like a mob, like the this the 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 solar system's mob, which was called the Red Dragon, or is called the Red Dragon syndicate. Yep um they still exist they're still out there but spike left that world behind to become a bounty hunter um so yeah that's spike can and he, Eric, can, wanna he can
0: he can take a bullet let me tell you he, he gets shot so much in this show that you almost wonder if bullets are actually really a problem in this universe <laughs>
1: um, and whenever he gets shot they wrap him up like a mummy it's really funny yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like his entire body is just yeah, covered. It's crazy. Because he just
1: gets the shit kicked out of him. Well, what I and love his about zip craft. It.
0: Hi, what's that? Oh, yeah, go for it. His Zipcraft. Yeah, his
1: Zipcraft is called the Swordfish 2. It's like this really cool, sleek red ship that has. It looks like a swordfish, it's got a pointy nose.
0: Yeah. And uh, just a, a detail I love, which tells you that we're still talking about anime, is that even when he's wrapped up like a mummy after his after his gunshot wounds, they the, the wrap perfectly uh, keeps the shape of his hair intact. So his <laughs> hair is completely wrapped as well. So so, you know, it's good.
2: So still the um, same exact profile, same outline you would have, except of just course not be wrapped.
0: Of course. Nice. Uh, so our next character on the Bebop crew is, I think the one who actually owns the Bebop is Jet. His name is Jet. I, I, saw, I didn't know this from watching the show, but our research uh, tells me that his last name is, of course, Black. So Jet Black. Uh, yeah. So he has been uh, Spike's partner for about three years now. They kind of teamed up. He is a former uh, cop. Uh, he's like the grizzled veteran. He's got like scars on his face. He's got a uh, completely uh, robotic arm, um, like a really, really solid piece of machinery there. But he's a big guy. Like he looks like your your, your muscle type. Um, but he is the more, much more cautious of the two. He's the one who wants to have a plan. He is the one who is not confrontational unless he has to be confrontational. Um, he is the one on the, uh, crew who, uh, would, would, he finds it, uh, troublesome to get involved in people's personal lives. Um, the other, uh, two crew members, um, uh i'm trying to find a way to describe it he's just he's much more chill he doesn't want people to get upset with one another because they get involved in their lives so he's just he's just like just shut up like let let the other crew members do their thing you do your thing just shut up you know we're all in this as a mutually beneficial thing so just chill
1: yeah he's the mediator I think that's the word maybe you were looking yes, for yes
0: mediator is good um yeah. and he, his zip craft is the hammerhead so if he needs to le- leave the uh the bebop for any reason he's gonna head out on the uh on the hammerhead
1: yeah and the hammerhead is unlike the swordfish 2 because swordfish 2 is a fighter it, it it's it's sleek it's slick the hammerhead is this big thing it has like a crane arm on it it's, it looks more like a maintenance vehicle than a fighter but it's still a zip craft yeah um Who's next? All right, so third member of the crew is Faye Valentine. Faye is your femme fatale character. Uh, Faye was actually a bounty for the Bebop crew and before joining the crew uh, herself. Uh, she's a con artist, uh, kind of duplicitous out for herself, and just kind of fell in with Jet and Spike, and she just kind of moved in one day (laughs) after they had like a mutual adventure together where they were both on the same side Um, she just stuck around so that's kind of how most people end up on the bebop (laughs) they just kind of stick around Um, but yeah so Faye she's the most selfish Um, she's like Spike in that she just dives into things without much pre-planning but she's you know they call her Lady Luck She's, uh, she's a very lucky person even though it's more like she lucks out by surviving. Not that she makes a lot of money off of it. Um, and when she does make money, she gambles it away because she's a big time gambler. Um, and a card sharp, even though again, she doesn't get a lot of money out of it. Um, and her big thing is that she's in like an enormous amount of debt. So when she, the bounty went out on her, it was because she owed somebody a lot of money and she continues to owe people a lot of money. Um, but she, uh, ride safely on the bebop with the other guys
0: oh it's so weird though like she is not afraid to totally screw these other guys over though it's like she's she's in there because it's like advantageous for her to do so now but like uh, there's an episode i'm sure there's more episodes along the line where she just like basically robs them and leaves before inevitably being (laughs) rescued by them out of whatever trouble she's gotten herself into uh before ending back up back on the bebop um, oh, an important thing to note, uh she's a total babe, and she uses her feminine wiles to get what she wants from everybody, not including the bebop crew. they uh, they're not interested. it's seemingly or they're just not swayed by her tactics.
1: Well, they know who she is. <laughs> yeah, they, they know what she's up to. Yeah. um the next character, which I'll get into uh is is Ed. And uh, that's Ed is uh, also known as Radical Edward. That's uh, her hacker name because she is a hacker. Oh um, yeah. And Ed, wow.
0: Um, oh, she's great. Uh, I'd like to the, the <laughs> word I thought of to describe her. The adjective uh, that I thought of was spider monkey. If spider monkey <laughs> could be an adjective, that is that is how you describe Ed. The, the, the
1: adjective that I put on the notes is Wiggly It uh, <laughs> is weird uh, She's all over the place She's this little 13 year old girl With a huge like mop of red hair And she can hack into anything She is an uber hacker um, And the hacking sequences are ridiculous Because it like visualizes information as like the matrix like streaming information and then Ed is kind of like going but, into it but it's, it's like
0: it's not even like streaming information it's like it turns into just like colorful shapes and like smiley faces that bounce around on her screen <laughs> and somehow that is the matrix that she uses to pull information from it's wacky
1: yeah it is wacky. But if a system is needed of, of, of hacking Ed can hack it um, but yeah she's she always talks in the third person she always says Ed does this. Ed can hack this, um, and just frequently just goes into like inane, garbled nonsense. Like, um, she's just a weird character. <laughs> yes, yeah, Spike. Uh, Spike calls her a rug rat, um, and she. I,
0: we don't know really anything about her family, especially when we first meet her. Um, she was from Earth. Like they actually picked her up on Earth, um, and she was basically they're uh interfacing with old satellites um she has this kind of logo of hers it's this weird smiley face very specific sort of uh face image that kind of represents her and she used a satellite with a big laser on it to carve this face into the continent of south america (laughs) so those are the sorts of things
1: she's interested in um yeah. yeah, she's kind of this wild card. Like, Faye's the wild card, too. Ed is as well. Um, because, But unlike Faye, you really don't know who Ed is because she's just all over the place.
0: All over the place. She's just manic. Manic and crazy, and she's a kind of a wild animal and unpredictable. Um, Speaking and yet, of wild animals. Yeah, we have an actual animal on the crew. <laughs> the last Ooh. member of the Bebop crew is, is not really a member at all. It's just a corgi. It's a little Welsh Corgi named Ein.
1: E i n. Yeah, like Einstein. Um, yeah, Ein was another uh, kind of like part of this bounty that this guy had. Ein, uh, Ein is a called a data dog. Like, <laughs> it's the, it, 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 he ha, is like human smart. He has the intelligence of a human. But he's a dog, and he can't talk. He can only bark. So he barks (laughs) twice for for no and once for yes. Uh, So (laughs) he understands people. Yeah, he he (laughs) understands people, (laughs) but he's a dog. And so
0: uh, it's it's, not
1: really ever communicated that, that Ayn knows how to talk or how smart Ayn is, but... They say that he is.
0: <laughs> no, I uh, like the data dog thing. Like, I think there was a plot of an episode, or probably the episode where they met, where they where they brought Ion aboard, was that uh, somebody was after him because he was like encoded with information or something. Like, he was the disc uh, with the imp- like important that, yeah. data on it. Yeah, but like to me, he's a dog in a cartoon, which just means he has more intuition than you would expect from a real dog. But to me, it's just it's just this corgi that's running around. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, that's, yeah. So yeah, if you're on the Bebop, you better have that dog in there. Better um, have that dog. So the Bebop crew, they get their jobs from a television program called Big Shot for Bounty Hunters. And this show has a Wild West theme with this like these two people dressed up like cowpoke and they speak in, you know, Western slang and talk about bounties that the bounty hunters can go off on it's kind of like it's a, a standard for wanted posters um which is kind of fun
0: yeah it's just a nice little device to kind of get this week's bounty like oh go after this person who did this and they're worth this many woolongs because woolongs are the money in uh Ooh. in this thing uh the hosts are punch and judy are their names um they're just you know eccentric characters dressed up like like cowpoke cowfolk um a couple other things um jobs usually i have a note from andrew here jobs usually start out as one thing but then they turn into something else you you dig deeper you discover something else about it as we mentioned early on the crew might just suddenly decide to side with the the mark like oh this is not a bad person they're just having a rough go of it let's help them out uh sort of thing and that'll just kind of evolve naturally um, but it's anime, so there are tonal shifts all over the place. It can go from goofy and over-the-top action to very, very serious and dramatic in, like, the blink of an eye. Um, and this show does a really great job of taking its time. Like, there are these, these you know, moments that just, just, where nobody's speaking, all you're doing is just admiring the beauty of space as a little spacecraft, you know, drifts along and jazz music is playing under it. And it's just, it's just cool. I, the tone I would I would describe is cool, cool, All
1: right. cool. Yeah. Yep. And the last big trope, and this is probably uh, just uh, more of a uh, commandment than a uh, bonus point, but the stories always end with "see a space cowboy." That's the end of every episode. Yep. What does that mean? Is that something that one of the
2: characters say, or is it just a voice at the end says "see a space cowboys."
1: It's a title card. Title card. Yep. Yep. See you, Space Cowboy. All right. Every episode.
0: Yep. Uh, So, uh, gosh, I think that's all the just basic information about this world that we can give. Do you want to let us know what you have so far? Sure.
2: So I'm going to write a session of Cowboy Bebop. Cowboy Bebop named after Cowboys, who are the bounty hunters of this universe, and the Bebop, which is our ship of bounty hunters. It's kind of a sci-fi Western space opera, Blade Runner-y, Firefly-y, although it sounds like Firefly may have been more based on this than vice versa due to the laws of temporal progression. Mm -hmm. And it takes place in 2071, which according to the laws of temporal progression doesn't make too much sense because the Earth was still inhabited in 2010 in the real life. But this is a cartoon. It's an anime. might be a little bit different. Uh, Their their ship, the Bebop, is a spaceship that was a fishing boat, so it has a bunch of smaller lifeboat-type things called Zip Crafts that kind of fit each character they have their own. Uh, Spike
0: is our hero. He
2: is the best at all the things that involve shooting and punching.
0: Real quick, Marcus, did we mention Faye's ship? No. Faye has a little ship called the Red Tail, and Ooh. it is like a, a little, you know, kind of like how the Hammerhead is like a construction mm-hmm. thing with a crane. Uh, the red tail is like it's a bubble that has like these two grappler arms or hands out front. It's like the 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 thing that Ripley drives in Aliens, sure. you know, with those two pincers. The it's power got that armor. sort of yeah, exactly. It's got that sort of deal on the front. Cool. Does there Ed have a ship? Uh, no, because no. she's thirteen. But she could she just steal fl- any of them because she's an Uber Exactly. She, can, she actually, the, when she joined the crew, they were just going to leave her behind on Earth because they didn't care. She just took out a little remote control and flew the ship back to her because <laughs> <laughs> she hacked into the system like whatever. Awesome. Yep.
2: Okay, so Spike was a former member of the Red Dragon Syndicate, who was the mafia. He gets shot a lot and wrapped up hilariously like a mummy, and he flies the Swordfish 2, which is a sleek red zip craft. And then we have Jet Black, who actually owns the Bebop. He's been Spike's partner for three years. He's a former cop, he's getting too old for this. He's got scars and a robotic arm, and he'd rather just everyone be chill. He's a mediator. Calm down, everybody. And he's the owner and pilot of the Hammerhead Zipcraft, which has a construction-type arm. Then we have Faye Valentine, who's the femme fatale... She uses her feminine wiles on everyone except for the crew because they know who she is. They call her Lady Luck, which is a little ironic. She survives a lot, but she's very poor at gambling and has a lot of debt. And frequently will rob them and run away and then need to be rescued. Then we have Radical Edward, or Ed, who's a 13-year-old little hacker, spider monkey, wiggly weird girl
0: who uh, was found on
2: Earth somehow, even though Earth was destroyed. And she carved her <laughs> smiley face family crest into South American continent using a space laser, which means uh-huh. I like her already. Uh, Ed can hack this, she'll say. She speaks in third person. And she's a little rug rat. So she's a lot of fun, and I don't think you can get rid of her if you wanted to. Then you have Ein, the data dog, who's human <laughs> smart, and I assume would be screaming the whole time because no one knows how smart he is. But he can bark. <laughs> Once for no and twice for yes. Or is it twice for no and once for yes? Very important that I get that right.
1: Yeah, once for yes, twice for no. Once for yes, twice
2: for no. Gotcha. Uh, But maybe he's just like a Scooby-Doo, a reasonably smart cartoon dog. Who's to say?
1: (laughs) Who's to Uh, say?
2: And every morning they get up and they watch their TV, which you do, you know, in real life and if you're a cowboy. And you watch a cowboy-themed show where they say, hey, who's going to get some woolongs today? If you go get this guy, we'll give you all the woolongs. And that's hosted by Punch and Judy. So the jobs usually start as one thing, then shift completely. This group isn't a very good group of bounty hunters because they're not really concerned about the mission as much as whatever's interesting to them when they start the mission. And at the end, I'll say, see you, Space Cowboy.
1: There you go. Commandments. Awesome. That was great. That was good. All right. Bonus points time. Whoa. So, uh, for my bonus points, um, Eric hit on it. So this is a show that can go from goofy to dramatic, and yeah. those dramatic moments take time. And it's cinematic. The show is cinematic as hell. It just communicates through the visuals. It's not too talky. It just show. It just it 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 just shows you the action. And so one thing that I love about it, and I think this is kind of an anime trope in general, is these brief suspended moments of just beauty or wonder so i want to see that i want to see that moment in your story it could be the climax whatever it is that suspended moment of beauty yeah
0: um mine is going to be my bonus point is specifically going to be about the music and i know it's it's a little hard to have music in a <laughs> sham fiction I can, um, give me music and visuals is my bonus points I like yeah it. it's <laughs> Perfect for a, a text and word based show um, but specifically I, I just think the the music uh, pervades the language of this so much um, as I mentioned all the episodes have a musical title, it, uh, each episode is a session instead of an episode um, I just want you to include a lot, as many good references as you can to musical concepts or even just musical genres and um, have people speak in musical terms? Um, it would just be a fun little, a little icing on the cake for me. Or maybe there's just one character who uses a lot of musical terms. I don't care. Just uh, get creative with it. This is cool. a free form assignment. Um, if you want to do a potential scene, I mean, they're just on a job, right? You could do anything with this. I think. Yeah, uh, I think
2: I can handle it. If there's not a big overarching plot you want to throw at me i can come up with my own there's the mystery of ed there's the past with the red dragon syndicate there's just anything i can think of make it up yep
1: are there any aliens how to do it or is this all
2: humans that's one point
1: um as far as i know that i can recall it's just humans i don't remember any aliens yeah no aliens the only alien life form i've seen on the show
0: is uh spike leaves a some food in a fridge and forgets about it for a year, and it becomes sentient. That's about the closest... Checks out. That's about the closest thing to alien life in this show. But there's
1: some really weird things on this show. (laughs) Some really weird people. (laughs) So, they're kind of alien. Mm -hmm.
2: Alright, well, Um, I'll start writing on that.
1: And we'll see you guys in a bit. Awesome. (laughs) See you, Space Cowboy. Hey, folks, if you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. All right. Thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Okay, so while Marcus is off in uh, deep space, the uh, the <laughs> outer planets of our solar system, Eric, yeah, what are we gonna be hearing? What's what's he writing? What's this? What's Marcus Mann's cowboy bebop oh, man. gonna be? I,
0: you know, it's it's hard to say because uh, we spent a long time talking about this show. I feel like we gave him a good taste of who the characters are, what's happening. I feel like. He, he uh one element or one character that i think he'll latch on to is gonna be the dog Is gonna be ein and so oh. i just want to see some uh good use of the dog like maybe he's gonna <coughs> channel some of your uh some of your fraser script where eddie was a big part and make ein a big part here that would make me happy
1: Oh, that would make me happy, too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he'll go as far as to go from the dog's perspective, uh, which would be a fun twist. Um, No, because I I don't think he will. I think, uh, in fact, this will be my prediction. You know, Marcus, he he loves science fiction. He loves sci-fi. We've covered a lot of sci-fi in the show. That's true. And I think, yeah, no dog perspective. I think we're going to get full-blown Star Wars with this. Um, I think he's just going to embrace the space opera. Okay. I think we're going to get a lot of Han Solo from Jet,
0: right. and oh, I don't know if we'll Jet. get a lot of
1: Chewy or not. Excuse me, Spike. Thank okay. you for okay. correcting me. <laughs> I was worried um, for a second. I, like, I, I you know, read I this. saying maybe maybe a little <laughs> Chewy from Jet. I don't know. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he's the Chewy role, right? <laughs> yeah. If he just does like a little.
0: <laughs> I'll be uh, happy.
1: No, Ayn has to make those noises, or Ed can make those noises. That's <laughs> not too far out of whack for her. Uh, <laughs> I hope so yeah, so. I just I think this could. If you transplanted the names, this is just going to be Star Wars. Star because Wars I think, with the uh, with the serial numbers filed off. Yeah, and with the serial numbers of Cowboy Bebop, penned in, painted <laughs> on. Good. That's a good one. Uh, awesome. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, anything else? Should yeah. we bring it back Let's in? Bring I'm excited. I want to hear it. Yeah, me too. Let's do it.
2: Hey there, cowboys. I just finished <laughs> writing my sham fiction. <laughs> Yay. Hey. <laughs> hey, you. I'm pretty excited for this one, guys. This yeah. was a lot of fun. Thank you for giving me something a little bit more, more spacey and exciting.
0: Than we've been doing on some of these. Oh, so you're right up my alley. You didn't like the Wes Anderson and the, uh, the, the whoever else we've been doing lately. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the Downton Abbey, and the Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> the Fifty Shades of Grey. Pretty much every assignment we've given you up until now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I enjoyed all of them. Uh, but this I'm very
1: excited about. Oh, uh, we knew you would be, baby. We knew you oh, would. Oh, yeah.
2: It's a little treat. All right. So I think we just got to get right into it. Yes, us right? do it. Yes. Please. Alright, I present to you Session 7, The Last Lunar Symphony in Four Movements. 3, 2, 1, let's jam.
0: Yes! Yes!
2: <laughs> Allegro, Spike. It was a hell of a lot of woolongs, and it could be a hell of a lot more if Lady Luck didn't come back for her share. Or a hell of a lot less if she didn't come back but stole more than her share on the way out. Of course, it could just be a hell of a lot of trouble if she was lying about the whole gig, and Spike had to find her again when it was all done. One thing was certain. Those were Red Dragon Syndicate ships he had just gunned down over the surface of the moon, (laughs) so this was going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Clear a path to the drilling platform, Jedd had said. Now, in the soft blue light of the earth, the dancing orange flames of the Red Dragon ships, it was time to make music. Spike had the Instadome atmosphere to thank for three things. Confirming it was the Red Dragon Syndicate... Who else had the Woolongs for that kind of tech? Allowing the downed vessels to burst beautifully alight, and, most importantly, keeping Spike from needing a helmet to gun down his targets. His hair hated that, and if his hair was happy, Spike was happy. (laughs) He popped open the cockpit before the Swordfish 2 even touched the surface, and leaped out in a low gravity flip with a flourish, guns blazing. The recoil of the shots pushed him back, but he used their force to his advantage, falling into a devastatingly cool three point landing. Surrounded by kicked up clouds of moon dust Jet would remind him that the moon dust was radioactive But he also wouldn't understand how jazz this was When the dust cleared Spike could see that he had killed two of the syndicate thugs Closest to his impromptu landing zone He wasn't surprised, but he hadn't really been looking either There were six two-person ships he had shot down in a neat little line approaching the drilling platform Most of the thugs were probably still alive Spike missed having the Red Dragon's expensive equipment with working ejector seats, but that just meant more fun for him. His sightline was garbage between the ruins of the old moon outposts, the abandoned reclamation equipment, and the newly introduced wreckage of the Syndicate ships. A bullet struck him in the shoulder before he could get a full count of the survivors. Return fire reduced that count by one. Clear a path, Jet had said. It was time to jam. Adagio. Jet. So far, Faye's tip had checked out. They hadn't picked up this bounty from Punch and Judy, but it wasn't uncommon for the government to hide things, especially when it came to Earth. Jet landed the hammerhead directly on the drilling platform after flying over the path of wanton destruction Spike had left for him. He wasn't surprised to see Spike already in the entryway, leaning against the short metal wall and wrapping his fresh gunshot wounds. After three years, Jet still didn't understand why Spike always started with his hair. Jet raised a metal finger to his lips to keep Spike from bragging about his latest exploit. There'd be time for that later. Now it was time for Jet to see if the rest of Face Tip checked out. Was the bounty really one rogue, or would there be more violence inside the control room? He hoped there wouldn't be. He was hungry. (laughs) The hatch was locked. Ed could have hacked it in a minute, but Jet had asked her to stay back until all clear. It wasn't worth her getting caught up in Spike's fun. Still, having a mechanical arm had its advantages and Jet's metal fingers easily pried open the barrier. It fell to the ground with a crunch. So much for the element of surprise. Jet bent down through the small opening to the control room. He had his hands raised in peace, but it was immediately clear that the man who stood inside had no intention to use the gun he lazily pointed in Jet's direction. You don't look like you want trouble, Jet said. The man in the jumpsuit had eyes that were being kept open by fear and urgency, fighting the fatigue that defined his posture. He gave Jet a half-smile when he spoke. You don't look like the Red Dragon Syndicate. Captain Jet Black of the Bebop. He reached out with his left hand to spare the man his metal grip. The man put down his gun to shake it. Morris Howe, are you here for the bounty, then? Well, Jet said, picking the gun up off the table and clearing the chamber and magazine before replacing it. That depends. What are you doing here? Scherzo. Ed. For a fraction of a second, Ed had been worried that she had found out, or when she had found out, that they were going back to Earth. She considered for a portion of that time that they may have discovered what she was doing on the satellite when they had first found her. In the next instant, she remembered that they could, she could destroy any of them instantly once they got within range of her old array. Then she remembered that they weren't very bright and decided that a trip back home would be fun. And boy, was Ed right. <laughs> Jet had given up on the bounty as soon as he had met the man they were sent after. Ed added that incident to her file and noted that it tipped the odds towards not following through on their missions more often than not. The man, (laughs) Morris, had given a boring story about how his people lived on the moon and his son had died and he wanted his daughter to see home again and blah, blah, blah. The interesting part was that the man was trying to crack the moon in two like an egg so people could (laughs) live on the flat halves that weren't ruined by radiation during the Great War. Of course, the way he was trying to do it would have killed everybody and destroyed the moon, but it was a cool idea. The problem with drilling through the moon is that the fissure points wouldn't be exactly even. The split would cause a gravitational imbalance and the two halves would bounce into each other making more and more bits until moon dust rained into Earth's atmosphere in a fiery blaze destroying whatever life was left. White sky. (laughs) The Stevenson hypothesis. Wouldn't go well for the satellites either and Ed couldn't have that. So, the answer was to rig the old laser system to surgically cut the moon in two in a way that would send the two halves into a synchronous orbit and generally not kill everyone at all. Ed could hack that. She rearranged a comm link to point to her old network and surrounded herself with the colors of hacking. She thought she heard Jet or Spike or someone say something about reinforcements arriving when she lost herself in the system, but that sounded boring. This was art. Rondo. (laughs) Faye. Faye's tip was half right. The Dragon Syndicate was on a bounty for a miner who had hijacked a drilling station on the moon. The problem was, the other half of the tip, the part where there was a valuable stash for her to take off with on the dark side, was a complete lie. Now she had to decide if it was worth lying about her latest attempt to run away from the bebop after turning a score to her advantage. In the end, she decided she was too hungry to lie, and just joined the boys and Radical Ed at the platform with no explanation of her absence. Spike was wrapped in bandages from head to waist, and Jet was pacing back and forth anxiously in front of a sweating, overweight man in a jumpsuit. She really needed to get away for a while. There was that casino in the belt he'd been meaning to visit. <laughs> Good to see you, Lady Luck, Spike said, smiling through his bandages. We're about to die. <laughs> what else is new? Fay asked. <laughs> it looks like the old guard and the Red Dragon Syndicate are converging on us. They fixed the gate Ed hacked when we came through, Jet said. Now our lives are at the mercy of Redhead Ed, splitting the moon in half with a laser so we can take the bebop out of here, Spike said. <laughs> so, it really is the usual, Fay said. She stretched her arms behind her head, arching her back in a way that made Jumpsuit turn to stare at his toes, swallowed in a fresh wave of sweat. She (laughs) winked at him, then walked over to Ed. Dear, do you think you could hurry it up? I'm mighty peckish, and we'll all be pretty dead if we don't get a move on. This takes time, Ed said. The fact that she was talking at all was a good sign. It meant Ed was coming to the end. No one lives here. It's okay if it's not perfect. Ed knows that. Ed also knows about the Stevenson hypothesis, and the death everyone is ignoring, but that's not the point. Making the two halves split is easy, planning their rotation is hard, and aligning them at the right angle is... necessary. Necessary for what? Faye said. For the view. Ed did it! We gotta go. Morris, you're with us. Jeff barked. No need to worry. Ed annihilated the incoming ships with their laser array. We're safe to enjoy the view. Ed thumbed a control, and the screen she had been hacking turned into an exterior display that began to fill with a cacophony of lasers intersecting the very moon they were standing on. Faye hoped Ed's calculations were correct. Coda. Ein. <laughs> For a moment, Ein was just a dog. He bounded gleefully over the perfectly flat surface of the northern moon interior. The southern moon crested above him, and he saw the sun rise over the pale blue dot that was the home of his ancestors. Nearby, his crew was speaking with the man that they had come to capture and had ended up helping. He liked his crew, and they thought he was a good boy. (laughs) Then, without warning, Ein's contextualization algorithm kicked in, and he became terrifyingly aware of what had just taken place. The calculations Ed had to have made to split the moon perfectly, without fallout from the Stevenson hypothesis, were beyond even his enhanced abilities. But what was truly remarkable was that what he saw when the sun finally illuminated the surface... Both halves of the moon were in perfect geosynchronous orbit over South America. All eyes looking up from the colonies that would one day be built in the core of the old moon would see Ed's smiling symbol looking down at them. The odds of being able to achieve that orbit using only the force of gravity and the timing of the laser array were incalculable. There was so much more to radical Ed than she let on. Ein was only able to hope for the day that the crew might inquire if she was telling the whole truth, and he could bark two times in return. For now, he contented himself with being a dog and bathing in the light of her stellar accomplishments. <laughs> the end.
1: <laughs> oh my
0: goodness! <laughs> you had fun with this, didn't you? I had so much fun, guys. <laughs> oh, I that's for some dang and everything. shows.
1: Oh. That <laughs> yeah, you really dug into that. My goodness. Wow.
0: <laughs> that was a lot of fun. I didn't Thank want it you. to end.
2: I wanted more parts. And this was longer than our, our usual, too. It's close to 2,000
1: words. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I couldn't even tell. I was having so much fun. I was with Eric there. Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And... Once I realized that you were doing like the four movement thing, like that's what was going on, uh, I was digging on it. I was I was all in. So by the time we got to the end of the fourth part, I was like, "Oh no!" But uh, then guess what? Yep, Eric was definitely happy with that last bit. Bonus, you got my
0: <laughs> secret bonus points. Ooh, secret bonus secret points. Secret bonus points. I was it to w- have Ein as the character? Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and you did. Yay! Yay! I had to. Oh, I'm so it's glad part you of the did. Crew. It made me so happy. And he was just a happy dog with some scary computer bits in his brain. <laughs> <laughs> uh I I could tell that you really liked writing Radical Edward. That oh, that part especially shined just for its style and the the frantic thought process that you're running through and, and how she kinda also seemed to take over phase segment uh for the fourth part. Just very clear that you latched onto her in a really, really solid way. I love a mystery. You gave me a good mystery with her, so I I had to play with it. Sure.
1: Yeah, I was just so pleased with the structure that you chose because it allowed us to get into everyone's head. It allowed us to see everyone in in a unique way by splitting it up into the four parts so they didn't really intersect all that much, except for where Eric said. I think that was the only instance where I really felt that they all kind of started to converge on each other. Uh, it was during phase part, but man, yeah, that was, that was great. I love the structure to this and I felt you had a really good handle on the characters um, in each. So yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So Eric, any, any other comments before we hear from Marcus no, on this process? Let's
0: just hear from him. How, how did this go for you, Marcus? What was the process like?
2: Oh, man, I, I had so much fun with this. I wanted to do something big and sci-fi-y and ridiculous that wouldn't quite make sense. So I very quickly came up with splitting the moon in half because I was thinking about the radiation and hollowing it out to live there. And then that reminded me of this uh, book I'd read called Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson. So I made a couple references to the Stevenson hypothesis. Where, slight spoilers for that, uh, bad things happen when the moon gets split into multiple parts. (laughs) So, (laughs) check out Seven Eves for more detail. Uh, But I thought it would just be fun to give a little nod to that.
0: That's cool. And then,
2: when I was thinking about how to structure it, I thought, gosh, this is a lot of story for a short. So, I need to split it up into scenes, and then it just seemed natural to split it by character. So, each character would tell scenes in a slightly different time frame. And then I wanted to do research on the structure of a symphony. So I'm sure our good friend and musical composer, Reed, will have plenty of comments about how I did this wrong. (laughs) But my quick Wikipedia search and uh, the Symphony for Dummies website I checked out uh, gave me the names of each of the four movements of a symphony. And then I aligned those with the characters. So the Allegro is the fast-paced opening, and that was Mm -hmm. clearly Spike. Uh-huh. And then a adagio is a slowing down. It's, it's more calm and gentle, so I brought Jed in for that. The uh, scherzo, the third part, is kind of a comedic thing and just sort of fun and light, so it had to be Ed. And then finally the rondo, the conclusion, is uh, another more upbeat piece, but I thought it would be good for Faye to wrap it all up. And I liked sure. the idea of keeping her away the whole time. So we keep hearing about how she had set this up. And then when we get to her, of course, her plan had fallen through. And she just, yeah, whatever. I do this <laughs> all the time. Um, and then, of course, Ein had to be the coda. That was, sure. that was clear from the beginning.
0: <laughs> love it. Well, and I love it, too, because uh, coda is a musical term. But yes. used uh, to mean something very different when you're talking about fiction. Uh, so it was a nice, a little treat at the end. Just like, it's a double entendre. Ah, double entendre.
1: <laughs> so I loved it. Fantastic. I'm very happy now. Mm. Yeah, I was so impressed with the number of details from our pitch that you worked into this. Um, like you nailed, uh, I mean, I don't have all of that in front of me, but man, did you nail a lot of things in here. Just, just small details um, throughout. Um, of course, the bandages. Uh, yeah. That showed up near the end, uh, but also how everybody was hungry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like their 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 uh, reasoning behind everything was like we gotta eat something. <laughs> um, but also Ed's bit about how she compared them the, the the ratio of them following through with a job versus not. <laughs> like uh, that's 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 great. That's kind of like a little meta moment because I don't think they ever fully address that sort of thing. Um, and that's so that's. I like that call out. Um, <laughs> yeah, just so many references. And of course, Spike getting shot at one point. You got to do that. And his <laughs> yeah, overall, his overall, like impression of like i guess this goes for all of the characters again their viewpoint on everything was so spot on like one of the things that spike said near, near the beginning even though it was like against overwhelming odds, was that this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun and that's mm-hmm. it like spike doesn't go into a situation thinking oh shit this is going to be terrible or oh my god i'm gonna die it's yeah let's do this you know that's that's his outlook on things so i really appreciated that
0: oh and he spoke with such like a cool jazzy cadence like, you did, did really interesting stuff stuff with specifically Spike's speaking patterns, because uh, one of the, the tasks that I gave you, my bonus points, were it, include musical references, try to make this musical somehow, and obviously you did with the whole structure of the thing, the symphony of, uh, what, the Last Lunar Symphony Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe it was. But with Spike, you know, he was throwing like just the way he spoke was just kind of a jazzy groove. I think he used the word jazz to mean cool at one point, which is a (laughs) very cool, a very jazz thing to do.
1: I said he didn't realize how jazz this was, (laughs) and I was like, so
0: I just it was I. It felt very sincere, and it felt
1: very cool. So I loved him in this. Absolutely. Man, there was, there was so much going on. I will say that I, I'm, I look forward to listening to this episode because there was, especially in the early goings, I wasn't really clear on what was going on because there was a lot going on. And I felt like, okay, I can I was trying to follow along with it, but from mm-hmm. moment to moment, it seemed like every sentence had something complex going on in it. And so I will say that for the sake of this virgin listening um, I had some trouble following along especially in the early goings but by the time Ed came into it and she kind of explained her plan it started to make sense but the stuff with Faye and her plan I think I missed because at the end when she kind of came in and shrugged it off I was like but what did she do to begin with so I don't yeah. know if that was uh, just that everything was happening and I missed it uh, or if that was just kind of a lack of clarity in the piece, I can't quite pinpoint it.
0: Well, I think that's one of the things that you risk um, when you create a story the way you did, where you're splitting it up between multiple points of view over a very short amount of time. I guess in my mind, I'm kind of liking it or likening it to uh, my uh, brief exposure to uh, VR videos, virtual reality, where mm. you are thrown into a space. Uh, when you have this headset on, that's all you can see. Uh, and you need a moment to kind of orient yourself. Okay, where am I? What am I looking at? What's that over there? I need to look all around me before I really know where I am. Okay, now I'm good to go. And if you cut away too fast, fast to another point of view, uh, as you did several times in the story, sometimes you get disoriented. And you have to start over, and it takes several sentences, or maybe even a couple of paragraphs, before you really lock yourself in and know where you are. So, Andrew, I I definitely agree with what you're saying that there was a lot of confusion happening. Um, but and I think that's that's just the risk that you run when you create this type of story. So maybe Marcus, if you're going to do this again, you know, kind of create a little more of a buffer zone between these sections where you're kind of saying some nice easy long sentences that are or, or short sentences whatever do something that's just easy to get through before you dive into the meat.
2: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting challenge because I think there's a hard line to toe between writing a piece of prose and writing something that's for performance even if it is prose. And it's something that I've noticed myself, I love listening to audiobooks. We've talked about that on the podcast before. Mm -hmm. When I listen to a complex audiobook, something with multiple viewpoints, I need to read the first couple hundred pages before I can switch over to the audiobook. Because when you're reading something in text, it gives you that ability to take it at your own speed. You can go over a section a couple times and get different elements out of it. And for me, that's really necessary with a complex work. So it was definitely a risk I took with this version of the story uh, that you wouldn't get all that across in the first read-through. And there's, I mean, it's the first draft,
0: so there are definitely things that could be improved beyond that. But it's, it's an interesting challenge. Sure, I'm excited to, to actually read the text of this. I think it would uh, go down a little smoother, as you say.
1: Um, hope so.
0: Yeah, so I... Don't even really have much for notes. Uh, I don't have a lot of criticisms. I agree with uh, Andrew that uh, there were some moments where I was kind of confused because of that viewpoint jumping. But overall, I thought it was very enjoyable. So, Andrew, any uh, further criticisms for our man?
1: I have a question to follow up on uh, the Stevenson thing, the Seven Eves. I've heard of that book, Um, and I was wondering, did he base this principle on any... Is this more like fantastical sci-fi, or did he base this on kind of like real physical theories of doing stuff like that?
2: So he did a ton of research to make Seven Eves, and I okay. did one of the worst things you can do as a writer, which is just referring to somebody else's research. Reading books about a topic is not research. Reading fiction about a courtroom doesn't make you an expert in writing the legal drama. <laughs> uh, But because this was sham fiction, I I decided to view that more as a fun homage than I could have just made something up um, for that threat, and it was more fun for me to throw in the Stevenson reference.
1: Okay, okay, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, it sounded so. Again, in your writing, you do that sort of thing a lot, where it's like it feels real because you're mentioning like these. You give these things a a formal name, and that it's amazing how that carries it and makes it seem so more real when you do just that small detail. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. I think we're ready for this. Um, Yeah. So I, I given what we've talked about a bit of the confusion, I had so much fun with this and I'm going to give you the benefit of that doubt. Um, You got my bonus point, which was the brief suspended moment of wonder. Um, I'll give it, I, I, I wasn't sure what, part you were intending for that because it seemed like there were kind of bits and pieces of that everywhere but the end with ein like that was that was great yeah i I really enjoyed that with him looking up at his face in the in the sky um so i'm gonna give you uh i'm gonna give you nine or no how should we do this i'm gonna give you a seven eight time signature (laughs) Ooh. <laughs> that's a that's a tough time signature fast <laughs> that's
0: it's a not weird how I mean, music that, it, works it's for
1: all you it's for all you math rockers out there there you
0: go you tool <laughs> fans and the like <laughs> oh that's fantastic Grouchy. so yeah so for my score um this was just so much fun you got all my bonus points and my secret bonus points so you're getting full marks uh, all the way across the board, I'm giving you uh I'm giving you eight out of eight planets in the solar system, because Pluto doesn't <laughs> count. Oh no! We just lost like all of our Pluto sympathizers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're not on board with the new deGrasse
2: Tyson view of the solar system, then we don't want you listening.
1: <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs>
2: Uh, Oh, boy. That's the most controversial thing I've said on this podcast. And I talked about a dude getting tapped by a wolf. (laughs) You did. (laughs)
1: You did. Uh, Uh, Andrew, what were your secret bonus points? I don't think I heard those. Oh, thank you. Yeah, good call. So I knew you were going to just dive into this and have a hell of a lot of fun with it. I thought it was just going to feel Star Wars. I was expecting this to just be Star Wars, not as much Cowboy Bebop. But I will say that it felt cowboy bebop more than it felt anything that star wars would do it felt of that sci-fi and of that world so i won't say that you got it but that's okay i'm actually more pleased that you didn't get it um so i was very pleased awesome well all right if i do want to watch
2: this now which i do where can i do that
1: yeah, so Cowboy Bebop is available right now on Hulu for you Hulu subscribers. Uh only the first few episodes are dubbed in English. The rest of them are in Japanese. They have all of the episodes in Japanese. Um, oh, and the Japanese cast
0: is so good. It's so good. Yeah, don't good. let it
1: deter you uh because even though the dubs are great, the subs or, or excuse me. Yeah, the dubs are great. The subs are just as good. I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, it's a great show. Uh, This was really this was the anime that kind of got me. I don't watch too much anime, but at the time, this was the one that got me into it. This is the one that led into the Triguns and the Inuyashas and all that stuff. It all started with this one, so I highly recommend that you check it out. All right,
2: very cool. I think there's only one way we can end this episode, guys. Oh, you ready? Yo, I'm ready for it.
0: See you, space cowboy. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Next week. We're taking sham fiction to a place we've never gone before. The arena. The fighting pit. The boxing ring. The danger zone. The thunder dome, The place where two people enter and one person leaves. That's right. Sham fiction. Head to head. fic versus fic. It's a three-part round robin that will separate the boys from the more stupid boys, the wheat from the chumps, the losers from the even bigger losers. Make sure you bring your pistol slash sword slash wand, because next week, we duel.